Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, well, good morning. Well, actually, it's, uh, it's officially afternoon now. Um, glad that you're here with us. Glad you're joining us uh, in Vallejo. Um, we, uh, one of the things I've noticed this, this um, lately is, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but birth announcements have become much more involved than that used to be. Um, when we had our kids, it was just, you know, baby was born, you sent out a birth announcement, friends and family let them know, you know, the baby had arrived. Um, but they're actually like, like save the date almost, you know, the, they announced the pregnancy, then they announced the birth and all kinds of things involved in it. And, and I was looking this week, there's a whole lot of different ways that people have creative ways they have found to, to announce they're pregnant or, or their birth. Um, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you uh, this morning. This one I thought was pretty cute. Our family will be growing by two feet. Two feet. Get it? Yeah. That's kind of cute. Um, I, I, this here's another good one for you Starbucks fans. Coffee, tea, milk. That was a good one. Um, here's one that has a, an expected due date. Uh, a future Jedi expected to arrive May the 4th. Be with you in case you didn't get that. Um, this is the one I really loved. Uh, we planned three plus one equals four. God laughed, three plus two equals five. <laughs> They're going to be having twins, evidently. <laughs> um, and then it's not just the, the birth announcements, but they actually, I have, I've found this to be true. Um, couples are having like whole gender reveal parties where they'll have people over to announce if it's going to be a boy or a girl, and it's a big, big deal, and that's kind of getting out of hand. Um, but there are a few of those that I wanted to share with you. Um, one for those of you who play the lottery, they are at a scratcher version of it. Um, there was another one for, uh, for those who are into food. Um, it's an egg and you open it up and it's either pink or blue on the inside. Uh, there's another one here for those who are bakers. Uh, you cut the cake and then it's a blue or pink uh, M&Ms on the inside. And then there's some really creative ones like for the car enthusiast, a, a pink burnout. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, for sports people, this one is a football. He just kicked it. And, uh, and then there's another one for baseball fans. She pitches, he hits it. Now, if you, if you Google gender reveal failures, okay, there's actually a version of this where um, she pitched the ball, he hit it, and it didn't break open. It went right back and hit her in the face. It didn't work out quite like they planned. Um, here's for the gun enthusiast. Somehow they got blue smoke coming out of the rifle. I don't know how they worked that one out. But the most creative one, I thought, was this one. Yeah, I don't really think that's a gender reveal. <laughs> but it's gotten pretty elaborate these days, and I, I blame it all on this website called Pinterest. Have you ever heard? How many have heard of Pinterest? Yeah, all the women. Yeah, it's, that's about it. My wife is on it all the time, you know, new f- creative things to do, creative ways to do things. Um, but actually, thousands of years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, long before Pinterest, the greatest birth announcement was ever given. And it involved angels and bright lights and everything. It's found in Luke chapter 2. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read it today. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's a very familiar story. If you grew up in church, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard the story. And, and, and this Christmas season, we're, we're going back and looking at that story, but we know how it all turns out, okay? We know where it all goes. We know how it all kind of works through. We're familiar with the story. But for those who were there for the very first expression of it, the very first ex- uh, experience of it, they had no idea what was going to come. They had no idea how it was all going to turn out. And last week, we looked at Mary and, and what it took for her to take that step of faith. And and today I want to look at the shepherd's story because there's something about these guys and how God chose these guys to be the ones that he would make that first birth announcement to that I think speaks to each and every one of us. And it has to do a couple of things. It really has to do about knowing. And one of the things that the shepherd's story tells us is that you are known by God, that he knows you, that he sees you. One of the astounding things about this whole story is who God chose to make this announcement to. He didn't make the announcement to the religious leaders. He didn't make that announcement to the government officials, the kings, or anybody who was in in any place of authority. He didn't express it to, to a particular group of people. He expressed it to ordinary people. Shepherds were just ordinary people. They didn't rank very high on the social scale. In fact, they were probably ranked near the bottom. They were blue-collar workers. Um, very oftentimes, it would be a hireling, not even the owner of the sheep. And, and it was just kind of this group of people that, that really spent, if you think about it, spent most of their time away from other people. They didn't have a whole lot of social interaction. They spent most of their time around sheep. You know, they ate with the sheep. They slept with the sheep. They smelled like the sheep. That was, that was their life. And yet... God chooses these people to make the announcement. And the announcement that he makes is this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that sentence, that all the people, that applied to them. Not to the smart people, not to the religious people, not to the holier than thou people, but to all the people. And that he makes that announcement to this group of people is particularly significant because it says to me that God sees each and every one of us individually and knows us individually. That God cares about all the details of your life. That he sees what nobody else sees and he's there with you when nobody else seems to be around. And I don't know about you, but there are times that I have a hard time believing that God would take any interest in my ordinary life. 
Sometimes I have a hard time thinking God would be interested in the details of my life. And yet, if you look through scripture over and over and over again, we are told that that is entirely the case, that God is intimately involved in each of our lives personally. The psalmist put it this way, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Back then, another psalm, he says, where could I go to hide from you? All throughout scripture, we are told that God cares about the littlest details of our lives. That he sees when a sparrow falls. That, that he counts the very hairs on your head or he knows the numbers of them, which is getting a little easier to know for me these days. But, but he said that, that, that God is intimately involved in your life and mine. And, and you need to hear, some of you really need to hear that today because you might be at a place where you're kind of wondering, does God really know what's going on in my life? Does God really care about me? And sometimes a Christmas season can be especially difficult for people who are feeling lonely or lost. I had, a, I had a conversation just not too long ago with someone who said, you know, I feel like I'm one of those lost sheep, but nobody's coming to look for me. And the loneliness and the brokenness and the hurt of this life may cause you to think God doesn't care, God doesn't know, God's not interested. And I think the shepherd's story tells us something quite different. God cares about each and every one of us intimately. Now, there are some times that we don't want God to know quite so much. You know, there are those times when we feel like, I don't know if I want God to know this. Um, John Ortberg, in his book, uh, God is Closer Than You Think, writes about this. And, and I love this. It's one of my favorite stories. He says, sometimes we don't have much sense for God's presence in our lives, but there's no mystery to it at all. The truth is that our desire for God can be pretty selective. Sometimes we don't want God to be around. Dallas Willard writes about a two and a half year old girl in a backyard who one day discovered the secret of making mud. She called it warm chocolate. Her grandmother had been reading and was facing away from the action. But after cleaning up what was to her a mess, she told little Larissa not to make any more chocolate and then turned her chair around so as to be facing her granddaughter. The little girl soon resumed her warm chocolate routine with one request, posed as sweetly as a two and a half year old can make it. Don't look at me, Nana, okay? (laughs) Nana, being a little codependent, of course, agreed. Larissa continued to manufacture her warm chocolate. Three times she said as she continued her work, don't look at me, Nana, okay? Then Willard writes, thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is that, that we be unobserved in our wrongdoing. That any time we choose to do wrong or withhold doing right, we choose hiddenness as well. It may be out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God. What's amazing about the Christmas story is that God sees all of the details, the good and the bad. He sees our mistakes and our brokenness. He sees our failures and our sin. And he still loves us. See, that, that's at the heart of the Christmas message. That you don't have to get it all cleaned up for God to notice you. In fact, he knows you in your guilt and your shame. And he still loves you. John put it this way in his letter. He said, this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. 
If our hearts condemn us, when we feel all that guilt and shame, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. The good and the bad. He knows us, but he doesn't reject us. He knows us and he loves us. But more than that, more than knowing us, what he wants is that we, that he be known by you. Not only does he he want you to know that he knows you, but he wants you to know him. That's also part of the story. That God came in search of us so that we would know him. This is the message, Luke 2, 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Savior, rescuer for you. That God sees you And knows you in your guilt and in your shame. But he still knows you. He's come to rescue you. In fact, that's the whole thing. We needed rescuing. Because there is a gap. There is a gap between the God who created you and who you currently are. That we were created for this intimate relationship with God. And yet sin is the thing that causes this break in the relationship. And if you think about that, that happens in any relationship. When someone does you wrong, it hurts the relationship. When you do someone wrong, if you um, for somehow um, betray a friendship or do something wrong, it hurts the relationship. It breaks the relationship. And what God says is there is this gap. There is this gap between him and us. And I don't know if you know it or not, but you are not God. That God is holy and righteous and perfect, and you are not. Anybody had any difficulty trying to be perfect for just one day? Or maybe you feel like you're doing pretty good, but you're not too sure about everybody else in the household. (laughs) None of us is perfect. We all have this sin problem. And that's the thing that breaks the relationship. And and what the message of of Christmas is that God knows you, but he also also wants you to know him. Jesus came to bridge that gap. That gap of sin that every one of us deals with. Because it's not just that we we don't live up to God's standard. We don't even live up to our own standard. That's sin. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. Sin is the only theological concept that is entirely provable because we all know it. And that's what has caused the rift. And what Jesus came to do was to to bridge that gap. And so he came and that, that was the message. And with the message, he also gave them an assurance of it. He said, this is will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, that's a pretty good sign because chances are there weren't many newborn babies wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. (laughs) But it is particularly significant, I think, to shepherds because these are the guys who spent their whole lives hanging around animals. And what could be more open and more approachable to them than to be in a place with a Savior surrounded by animals? They didn't even have to wipe their feet before coming in the door. It's particularly significant that God goes to great lengths so that you and I could know him. And that's the point. John, again, put it this way. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only son who is at the father's side, has made him known. Known. That's what God's great desire is. And and, in essence, what John is saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. 
If you want to know God, come to Jesus. Because he, in fact, the writer of the Hebrews says, he is the exact representation of God's being. That everything about Jesus' life and ministry tells you what God is like. That you are known. And in the same way that Jesus noticed people that nobody else noticed, God notices you. In fact, actually, if you, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, so often he took notice of people that nobody else paid attention to. There's one story in Luke's gospel where, where Jesus is actually walking through town and there's a crowd of people around him. But there is a woman who has been suffering from severe bleeding for years and, and she hears of Jesus coming and she knows of him as a healer, but the crowd is so great and, and Jesus is walking along and, and she's just thinking to herself, if I could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I know I would be healed. And, and she does, she somehow makes her way through the crowd and at the feet and as Jesus passes by, grabs grabs hold of the garment, and, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Lord, there's like hundreds of people pressing in all around you. What do you mean, who touched you? He says, no, no, I felt the power go out. And he noticed this woman. There's another story in Luke's gospel of a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, if you grew up in Sunday school, he was a wee little man, okay? You remember the song? And, and, he's, and again, there's crowds of people around Jesus, and he can't get through the crowds. He's too little, he's too short, he can't see over them. So he climbs up in a tree. And as Jesus comes walking by, he looks up and he notices Zacchaeus up in a tree. And he calls him down, and he says, we're going to have lunch together. Nobody else paid attention to this guy, but Jesus did. There's another story. This one's in John's gospel. There's a man who has laid by the side, a lame man has been laid by the side of the pool of Bethsaida. And the belief was that when the water stirred in the, in the pool, that that was the angel's stir, wing stirring, stirring the pool. And if you could get into the water as the water was stirred, that you would be healed. And he had laid there for years. In fact, it says he had been lame since birth. And nobody else paid attention to him. In fact, when Jesus asked him what he's doing there, he says, well, there's no one here to help me into the water when the water is stirred. Because nobody else was paying attention to him. Nobody else was there to help him. Jesus noticed him. Jesus stopped and healed him. One more story. Again, it's just, it's so symptomatic. It's so expressive of who Jesus was. There's a story also in John's gospel where he's coming through the city gates and there is a blind man. He has been blind from birth. And Jesus notices him. Now, we know that nobody else paid attention to him because once Jesus healed him and sent him to go get the healing confirmed, everybody's having this debate about whether or not that's the guy that used to sit by the the gates. Nobody believes it's the guy. He looks kind of like the guy because nobody's been paying attention. In fact, he finally has to say, I'm the guy. (laughs) Nobody else paid that much attention to him. But Jesus did. He knows you. And he wants to be known by you. One more part to the story. And it also has to do with knowing. He knows you and he loves you. He wants to be known and loved by you. But when you do, he will also use you to make him known to other people. You see, the end of the story isn't just that that the shepherds got there and they saw that something happened in them when they saw the good news is not something that you keep to yourself. In fact, this is what it says. It says that, the good, that when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
that they spread the word. And, and you think about it, that that's what we naturally do. If you find a great restaurant, great food, great service, you tell your friends about it. You know, when, when if, you, if you see a movie that you really like, you just tell your friends, you've got to see this movie. Or you go to a concert, you hear this band. You've got to hear this thing. Because we naturally do that. When we make a great discovery, our natural reaction is to share that discovery with somebody else. The problem is, I think, that we have become so comfortable with the story that we know so well that it has lost that amazement to us. That it's just kind of accepted. And yeah, 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 I know. But this is the most incredible story that's ever been told. This is God's big story. And, and the people who have been involved in that story are the people who are called to carry on that story. Here we are 2,000 years later, and, and this group of shepherds who basically only had a bit part in the story, they walked on and they walked off stage, and their part in the story is over. But here we are 2,000 years later, still knowing about these guys, because they spread the word. They told somebody else. That's how the gospel is spread. They heard it from the angels, but everybody else heard it from them. And if you think about it, that's how you came to faith in Christ. Somewhere, somehow, along the line, someone shared their story with you. Maybe one person, maybe a group of people. Maybe a series of people over your life. Maybe a parent, maybe a brother or a sister, maybe a friend or a coworker. Somebody shared that story, that amazing story with you, and it changed your life. Changed your life. Now, shepherds would be the most unlikely of all messengers of this story. Because shepherds were kind of had a reputation for being dishonest. They kind of had a reputation for letting their sheep graze on other people's land. They kind of had a reputation of not being above stealing sheep from some other shepherd. In fact, they were were so known for their dishonesty, they were not allowed to give testimony in a court because it was considered their testimony was unreliable. And yet God chooses these unreliable to be the testifiers, the first testifiers of this incredible message. Which means if God can use them, he can use you. And you have a story. And you don't have to know all the theology of it. You don't have to have all the answers to everybody's questions. In fact, their story was simply this. It says that they returned glorified and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They heard, they went and they saw, and it was just like they had been heard and been told. You came to faith because you heard someone else tell you that story. You came to faith because you saw it to be true in their life. And you made it true in your own. And your life has been changed because of it. And you don't have to have all the theological answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can just simply tell someone else what you have seen and what you have heard. And your experience is enough. Let God do the rest. Last summer, at the end of summer, we had um, uh, Steve Carter come and share with us. Steve had just, his book had just come out called This Invitational Life. 
And he talked about just living a life that makes invitation to come into the story of God, to make this message of God's grace a part of somebody else's life. And he says it's really pretty simple. He says, first of all, just live in it. Just live in the love of your loving Heavenly Father. And and build and nurture the relationship you have with Him. And then he says, just show up. Live it out. Live out your life. Live out that process of God changing you in front of everybody else. Let them see what God can do. Don't try to be perfect. Don't pretend to be perfect. Just let people see what God is doing in your life. And then relate to them. Build relationships. Get to know people. Take an interest in them. And don't see them as, 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 as a uh, target you got to hit. And then, and then, in the midst of that relationship and in that friendship, then take the risk. Make the invitation. Share your story. Do something that would help someone else discover what you discovered. And it's really that simple. It says about Mary that when she heard these things, she, she treasured them and pondered them in her heart. Let God do that work. Now, treasured and pondered, that's not just she thought about it for a while. It really has to do with, she took this and tried to figure out, okay, where, where does this fit in my own life? And it became her life. And I believe I believe that that message that she heard from the shepherds that she treasured and pondered in her heart is one of the things that sustained her all through her life as she raised Jesus as a child, as she saw him launch out into ministry, as she wondered where she fit now in that relationship because he had a whole other group of people following him. And when he hung on the cross, I think one of the things that carried her through every aspect of her life was the things that she heard from shepherds Years before. Would you bow your heads with me? So here's my question for you. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, does God really know me? Does God really care about me? And you're wondering because where you're at right now, you're feeling like one of those lost sheep and nobody's coming looking for you. I want you to hear today he knows you he loves you he cares about you and if you're feeling that 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 you don't deserve his love because of that sin and that guilt and that shame that you carry he came to remove that from you he came to bridge that gap he came not only because he knows you but he wants you to know him so today if you're feeling distant and wondering if god knows and cares Know that he does. Rest in him. For others, maybe it's more like this. I made that decision a long time ago. But in truth, my relationship with God has gotten kind of stale. I've just been kind of cruising along, doing my own thing, my own way. And I've lost the amazement of what God has done for me. And maybe today as we head into this Christmas season, in fact, as we head into this new year, maybe today your decision is, God, I want to go deeper. I need to to pursue you more deeply. I really want to know you and know your presence in my life. And if either one of those two are hitting where you're at today, 
that either you need to know that God is knows you and loves you, or, or you just need to be a little bit more serious at going deep and knowing Him. I'd love the chance to pray for you as we close. And if you find yourself in either one of those spots and I can pray for you, I'm going to ask you to do, like we do every week, just simply raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, look up and catch my eye because I want to pray with you and for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Maybe you're here today and you don't know God. Maybe you came here today because somebody invited you. Maybe you came here because you were looking for that kind of a relationship with God. Jesus came to set you free from your guilt and your sin. That's why he died on the cross, to bridge that gap so you could have this relationship with God. And if you've never done that, you can take a very first step of faith today. And it's just very simple. It's just acknowledging your need, admitting your guilt, and asking his forgiveness and then just simply entrusting your life into his hands and deciding I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life and if you've never done that but today you want to take that first step of faith I'm going to ask you to do the very same thing just raise your hand hold it up look up catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you just a first time decision to put your faith in him receive his grace So I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, thank you that you know me. With all of my successes and all of my failures, with all of the good and the bad, you know me and you love me. Thank you that you came to bridge that gap so that I could know you. And today, Lord, my prayer is that I would know your presence fully in my life. And that I would come to know you in a deeper, fuller way. And that you would take me as I am. And in your grace and in your mercy, make me new. Today, making that step to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.